Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Don't Miss This Podcast, a Come Follow Me study with Emily Bell Freeman and David Butler. We fill this show up with all the things we think you don't want to miss in the scriptures every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi there. I'm David Butler. I'm Emily Freeman. Welcome to Don't Miss This. Um, another exciting yeah. <laughs> spot in the Doctrine and Covenants, which, you know, we're starting to get into a section uh, that's heavy into the translation of the Book of Mormon. And um, we were talking a little bit before we started that there's a lot of questions that people have about the Doctrine and Covenants and a lot of trouble sometimes people have with Joseph and stories that they hear in the history and, and stuff like that. And we are going to start talking about those. They're going to come up because really in order to understand like kind of the power of the message, you have to know what's going on behind the scenes, right? It's like once we set the, the stage, then it's all of a sudden, oh, wait, they are a lot more like me than I thought they were. You know, yep. um, we're going to talk about today prayer and what a struggle it is for some people and the journey to learning that it can become a privilege and it can become um, a sweet relationship with God in heaven. We're going to be talking about the spirit of revelation and some of the trouble that comes with that and some of the things that people yearn for and some of the things that people struggle with. Like, am I hearing God speak? How is he moving and working? Um, we're going to talk about I wish that was my calling or I wish that was my gift and how God moves them all together. And it's just, it's fascinating how normal yeah. um, each of the people are that we read about and, and just how similar they are to us. And how many of their concerns are actually our concerns. And as we were talking today, we thought, we just hope you know that as we dive into these things together, we want to dive into all of it. We want to dive into the hard things and the things that we wonder about and question about and the things that we actually struggle with and how we can find those answers in the Doctrine and Covenants, but also through the help of the Spirit as yeah. we go. We got the most awesome gift in the mail today. And we kind of wanted to start out just right here with this. And let me see. That way. There yep. you go. <laughs> it's like a mirror. We just want you to look closely at this picture for just a second and see what's going on here. And right when I opened it and I looked at it, I just loved it because it's it's so full of light and it feels peaceful. But I also loved this. If you look, you will notice there's no angel in this picture. Um, Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ are not in this picture. If you had no idea what was even the story was about, what you would see is a young teenage boy, probably still wearing his work clothes, with his scriptures and a, a lighted candle, just sitting in his room. I love that his collar is a little bit just messed up. Like he just sat down and he's looking for answers, right? He's doing what he always did. And that was to pray and then to turn to the scriptures for answers. And sometimes we make this story so big. There's, we're talking about angels appearing in people's bedrooms and we're talking about the father and the son appearing in a grove. And sometimes I think it's just so important to remember the boy who just was inclined to open his scriptures when he had a question for God. And 
to, to pray, to ask those questions anywhere. We love the quote on the bottom of the poster oh, yeah. for this week that just kind of reminds us that Joseph really was just the same as all of us. He just had questions and he just went to the Lord and asked for answers. Yeah. Our word this week is, is pray. And again, man, the Doctrine and Covenants can be like, it's so fancy and they're on golden pages and tabs and you're kind of like, wow. But really, it was just somebody speaking with their father and the answer and direction coming. And this is what this quote says. It's so rad. He says, seek to know God in your closets. Who <laughs> thinks that's so awesome already? It's the best first line where you're just like, oh, do you know where I came to know God the best? It was in my closet, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Uh, or he says, call upon him in the fields. Follow the directions of the Book of Mormon and pray over and for your families, your cattle, your flocks, your herds, your corn. Who <laughs> just loves the corn? I, if you've prayed over corn, I love you. And all things that you possess. Ask the blessings of God upon all your labors and everything that you engage in. It's, it's so good. I love really that he just so gives sweet. you permission to pray about anything in the whole entire world, anywhere in the whole entire world. That's what you have just been given permission to do. And come to know God in your normal places. Yep. Right? Yep. So we meet a, a, a brother who's going to be with us, you know, throughout the whole um, story. Um, you may know him. His name's Oliver Cowdery. And his story is, he's the, we first learn about him and meet him in section six, which is where we're gonna start today. Now, you remember from last time that Joseph um, had been working on the translation of the Book of Mormon. He'd been working with Martin Harris, 116 pages. Those were lost. Um, he lost the Urim and Thummim. They came back to him in the fall of 1828, and they have to get their crops in, and, and they're back home, and the translation really isn't going anywhere. And uh, you remember Father and Mother Smith come down, and to visit him, and that's when we got section four, and they're kind of seeing everything. Oh, this is awesome. Um, while they come down there to visit them, he actually tells them, um, Emma writes for me, but the angel of the Lord said he would send me a scribe. So he has some sort of dream, um, inspired thought, where he says, um, uh, or the angel said to me, it wasn't a dream or a thought. It says right there in the quote, dummy, right? The angel of the Lord said to me, I'm going to send you a scribe. And then he said to his mom and dad, I trust his promise will be verified. Hmm. And, uh, and then a couple days later, um, or a short time later, Oliver is going to show up. So Oliver is just a, a year younger than Joseph. And you love this. Say this part too while you're right on it and people remember. Oliver has been praying at the same time and is feeling an inclination to go to Joseph. And I yeah. love that God's working on both Yeah, camera people. one and camera two yes. at the same time. So back up a bit and Oliver's older brother gets this job to teach at a school that's um, that Hiram is actually, Hiram Smith, Joseph's older brother is um, on the board for. And uh, they hire him and then he backs out and then he convinces them, well, you should hire my younger brother. So here comes 22-year-old Oliver Cowdery, these kids who are going to translate the Book of Mormon together. Uh, Oliver Cowdery, and it doesn't take long. He's boarding at the Smith house for him to like kind of realize like what something's going on at this house. And I want to know um, what it is. And he says this. We have the quote in the journal here put for you. 
Um, but he actually said, it had been put into my heart that I would have the privilege of writing for Joseph. So once he finally gets Father Smith to like spill the beans, what's going on? <laughs> he tells him about the plates and the pages and, and everything. And, and he says, it got put into my heart that I that I, I want to do that. And, and of course, at first he was like, that's a wonky story. You know, he's like, people don't have those kind of experiences. And we have Lucy's quote, Joseph's mama right here. And she says, we told him it was his privilege to know whether this was the case for himself, that he ought to find out if this is God's work and if he is going to be involved in it and how. And and you so, love you love his quote. We have um, that first one in Lucy's, but he says this, I have made it a subject of prayer. He says, if there is a work for me to do, I am determined to do it. So you just love that the beginning of six starts out with a need, right? The need is someone to come and help with the translation. But also, again, someone asking, what is the work for me yeah. to do? And he actually, his first conclusion is, okay, once the school term is over, I'm going to go down to Harmony. Remember, that's where they're living. I'm going to go down to Harmony and, and see what is going on. He comes up or downstairs for breakfast the next day and he says this, this has been working in my bones <laughs> and he can't stand it and, and he has to go. And so he will show up um, down there in, in Harmony, Pennsylvania. Joseph knew he was coming and, uh, and then two days after he shows up, they are going to begin the work of translation of the Book of Mormon. Um, this whole lesson, we are going to talk so much about Oliver Cowdery. And it's fun to just kind of introduce him at the beginning, a little bit about him and who he was. Last week we read to you about Martin Harris and then a million of you emailed in to say, where did you read that quote, including my mother, three times. <laughs> <laughs> and so we're gonna tell you a little bit about Oliver and then Hiram. And one of our favorite places to find life sketches of people is in this book called Who's Who in the Doctrine and Covenants by Susan Easton Black. So we'll be using that a little bit today. And there were just a couple of things that help us understand Oliver a little bit better. One was this. This was said about Oliver Cowdery. I have seen Oliver Cowdery when it seemed as though the earth trembled under his feet. I never heard a man bear a stronger testimony than he did when under the influence of the Spirit. So I love knowing that was his capacity, right? When he was at his greatest was to do that. Brigham Young wrote to him, at the end, so Oliver ends up leaving the church in the midst of when all of the trouble comes, and we'll get into that in greater detail. But Brigham Young ends up writing to him and saying, Return to our father's house from whence thou hast wandered, and partake of the fatted calf, and sup, and be filled, and renew your testimony to the truth of the Book of Mormon. And, and just tells him, Come back, Oliver, come back here. So then it says this, he didn't ever make it back to the West. He wasn't well enough to make it there, but he did go and join the saints in Iowa. And there was a conference held there and he stood up and assembled the congregation. And he said this, friends and brethren, my name is Cowdery, Oliver Cowdery. In the early- He's like James Bond, <laughs> who even knew that was him. In the early history of the church, I stood identified with her and one in her councils, not because I was better than the rest of mankind. I wrote with my own pen the entire Book of Mormon, save a few pages, as it fell from the lips of the prophet Joseph Smith, 
that book is true. And I just love that humility when he finally comes back. I mean, we all know who Oliver Cowdery is. If, if he showed up in a church, we would be like, I know who you are. <laughs> yeah. But I love that he just stands up and says, my name is Cowdery, Oliver Cowdery. And in the early history of the church, I played an important part, not because I was better than anyone, but just because I happened to be in the right place at the right time. And then he he formally requests his fellowship back in the church. It was um, that almost that same month. He says, brethren, for a number of years, I have been separated from you. I now desire to come back. I seek no station. I only wish to be identified with you. So I just love those those thoughts of Oliver as we jump into this. We'll spend a lot of time talking about him, but kind of seeing who his character and what his attributes were and kind of how he held himself is fun yeah. to think about. So this is kind of interesting. When section six is a request from Oliver to Joseph, um, he gets there on April 5th and they start. he starts working as a scribe April 7th and they are just gung-ho. Um, this revelation comes sometime in um, the month of April, and he is wanting a further witness. You're going to find out in this section. I'm desiring a further witness to know that the work that's happening here is is your work. And it might lead you when you read it to think, wait, I thought you already had a vision. I thought you already had an answer to this. I thought there was already that quaking in, in your bones. Yeah, and that thought that you knew you were going to go down and right. be with Joseph. Like somehow you'd had that. Right. Already. And then he's there. And and maybe, this is just a speculation, but um, if you know anything about the translation of the Book of Mormon, it may have been a little bit foreign to Oliver. <laughs> um, if you, I, I'm not sure if you know about these essays. The There are 11 essays that have been published um, by the church. You can find them inside your gospel library app. If you go under Restoration and Church History, and then look under essays of the church. And they kind of deal with, um, they were written by scholars and experts in each of those areas. And they give an overview of some of the things that have troubled people in the past about church history. Not you, just in the past, even now. Yeah, the the yeah. things that just trouble people about, about the past. Yeah, about yeah. the past. Um, they were, you could always have found that information in like the enzymes and stuff like that. But now they're just compiled together, you know, into one place where it's really easy to see. Um, we'll link to those because we're going to be using those 11 essays all the way through this year. We'll, we'll point you to those. And one you might be interested in is the, um, is the one, the essay about the translation of the Book of Mormon. And let's talk about why. Why would someone be interested in that? What would the questions be? Yeah. Well, one of the questions even is... even for like maybe Oliver at that well, time. Right. He was like, what's happening? I mean, do you even... Can you... Like, how do you... Joseph's a farm man, <laughs> a farm boy. Um, how do you translate languages? And maybe he thought when he heard the story, well, he's going to have all his papers out and he's going to have all of these things out. Well, we know from a lot of the witnesses of the Book of Mormon that Joseph was using... Um, either the Urim and Thummim, which were two little stones like fixed together in like a little metal binding, um, or often he was using a seer stone, um, a stone that he had found um, earlier in his life. And he had used it earlier in his life to be able to find things. Um, and he would put it often inside of a hat to kind of block out light. And he would kind of, it seems, read off of it. The hard thing is we have a bunch of witnesses accounts of it, of what they saw. 
and you know and we're a part of the person who knows best is Joseph and he didn't say anything you know about it so you have these I and and perhaps Oliver was kind of seeing this and thought and for most of the time the plates were kept covered on he wasn't even opening them up you know and like reading through them and maybe he thought now this is a little interesting odd you know <laughs> even for that time you know um that time period most historians when they look at it they say it is right in the middle of what they called um the age of kind of magic and the age of enlightenment um and it's just we're just kind of transitioning into the age of enlightenment which is more study instead of using objects and means and and things like that oh, right because at that... that time they would use um even to find water they would use I don't know if you call them divining rods or divining rods, yeah. but they would use, that just was the practice of the time period to do that. It's interesting because- And also very, still a lot more biblical and ancient than we are today. Like a huge shift has happened recently from thousands of years of the past. Yes. Do you know what I mean? And it's important to stop right here and just think about that. And maybe you can be looking up that quote that oh, we loved that, yeah, from yeah, there. Yeah. Because- Although it feels strange when you look at it in this context, it is not strange for people to receive revelation or guidance from God through instruments that would be available in that time period. So we know Aaron had a rod that he used. Uh, we know the brother of Jared used the Urim and Thummim. We think about Lehi used the Leahona. It's so interesting because that doesn't feel weird to us for some reason. We're like, well, yeah, Aaron had his rod, right? And Lehi had this random gold ball that showed up in the wilderness, right? That worked for him and or led even, him where he was going. Yeah, or even one of their examples is, what about the day that Jesus mixes dirt with spit and puts it on someone's eyeballs? Yeah. And you're kind of like, that's a little weird. <laughs> that, that it is common for that to happen. And I love that in this essay, it's like, here, let us open up your eyes to realize, although this might feel weird in this one context, let's let you see this is kind of how God works. And that one quote, we love how it starts. Yeah, some people have balked at the claim of physical instruments used in the divine translation process. But such aids to facilitate the communication of God's power and inspiration are consistent with accounts in Scripture. In addition to the Urim and Thummim, there's other physical instruments, the rod of Aaron, a brass serpent, holy anointing oil, the Ark of the Covenant, and even dirt from the ground mixed with saliva to heal the eyes of a blind man. So at first, from our perspective, it makes us kind of want to be distant from it a little bit like, oh, that's a, I don't, I don't even really like that at all. But one thing that, um, we love this book too, by the way, that, um, Steve Harper, who is just such an excellent um, scholar and just he does such beautiful work um, one of the things that he has said before um, that I really love is he says um, the past is a foreign country and you have to learn the way they do things there Ooh, that's so good and yeah and so if we're going to learn about experiences in the past first we have to learn that oh because for Joseph uh, it was just normal it's how he did things and I love that Stephen Harper says when we read these chapters and we start watching this process of prayer and revelation work, that the Lord legitimizes, not criticizes these gifts and how they worked. That he's just like, okay, is this how we're going to do it? Okay. And and he just helps build that growth through the means 
that are at hand at yeah. that time. So it's just good to help somebody understand that context because that can kind of throw a curveball at you. And the curveball can make you miss how simple and beautiful the message of the revelation is because you're so concerned about, you know, that other side. And if you have kids who are kind of like, what? That is so strange. Mm -hmm. Just pull out your phone for a second and go out in the sunlight and, and go like this to read what's on it. And then you're like, oh, <laughs> no wonder he put it inside a hat. Just to kind of block out, that you know, all awesome. the light that is there. Yes. So that's kind of the what's going on here, kind of like help you um, normalize some of the the history that's there. Now we can kind of jump into the section. So I love that what happens in six is Oliver's going to go back and ask again for this further witness. And you love that the Lord kind of tutors him through the process of prayer as you're going through six. And as you read all the way through this chapter, you're just going to write down either in this little box this cloud that we've left you right here or in your notes or wherever you're keeping track of these things what are these processes of prayer that you recognize happening in section six that allow oliver and joseph and all of us to be able to receive our answers so i love that he just starts right out in verse five and says if you will ask you will receive that's just true about our relationship i love that it's so like literal he just spells it out. If you're going to ask, you're going to receive. If you knock, I'm going to open the door to you. Which is so sweet to yes. even consider. I remember growing up and we used to go to, um, there was a basketball player, a center on the Houston Rockets named Hakeem Olajuwon. And we knew where he lived. And we always went and knocked on his door because we... <laughs> <laughs> you thought he was going to open it. Because he was going to open it. And we thought that would be so cool. And... It's interesting that the more power and the more famous someone gets, the more unavailable they are. And I love how God brings this down to almost like a, hey, come over for a Sunday afternoon. Yes, and let's talk. Chat. Yeah, that's your privilege to knock and it be opened. Yeah, that is so awesome. And you love that the second thing he tells you is, let me tell you actually what's going to make for the best conversation, right? That this was verse what, five, if we didn't say that. Yeah, ask that was receive, five. Yeah. In verse seven, he says to them, here's, here's what you should ask me about. Ask me for wisdom. Uh, don't ask for riches. Ask me for wisdom, he says, and to do much good, which I love that. That, that should be your desire. If you come in with that in mind, that's going to make for a better conversation. And I do think this is interesting that the context of this, because sometimes some people might be listening and think, wait, I ask God questions all the time and I knock all the time and it, and it doesn't ever seem to open or answer. And I think it is interesting that the context of this is ask about the work of salvation, knock about the work of salvation. And, and, and maybe some of the other things don't don't come as easily. but Or as quickly. Or, yeah. You know, right. like I was with my seminary kids the other day, and I said, I want you to think about something you've been praying for and write it down, your prayer list. And some of those answers you might see while we're using this journal. And some of the answers you might not see for eight years. And that's okay. Both are the way God works. Yeah. And that word in seven I love so much that teaches that is the mysteries of God shall be unfolded mm. unto you. It gives this vibe of like, um, it just bit by bit, it's going to be unfolded. And then you shall be made rich. And some people win the lottery, but most people who are made rich, it's kind of a lifetime of investing. Yeah. In, right? I love in 14 when he says, just inquire of me. And when he gives this counsel in verse 14, as often as thou hast inquired, 
Thou hast received instruction of my spirit. If it had not been so, you wouldn't be back here again at this time. And I think it is important when you read that to realize it doesn't say as often as you have inquired, you have received your answer because that's not necessarily how it works. But I love that you have received instruction from the spirit as often as you have come. And that might just be the next right step, not the answer that we need. And it's cool that he's almost saying to him, um, Oliver, you are where you are today because I instructed you and led you here. Like yep. just look back and kind and looking back is often a great way to see like, oh, he has kind of been yep. instructing me and guiding me to this spot. And we're going to go quickly through the rest of this because I want to spend as much time on revelation as we are on prayer. So as you're thinking about these things, but he tells us your mind's going to be enlightened. And we're going to talk about that when we get to revelation. And he also tells him, um, I'm speaking according to your desires, that he wants to know what our desires are, what we're thinking about. I love when he tells him in verse 16 and 17, I already know your thoughts and I already know your heart. I know that about you. And so when you come to me, I already know where you are in that moment as you come here. And then I love this part. Well, first of all, in 20, he says, behold, thou art Oliver. And in 21, and I am Jesus Christ. Like you are talking to the source right here. We're having this conversation right here. I know your heart. I know your thoughts. And I love that out of everyone, I have an answer for Joseph. And then I have an answer for Oliver. And there's going to be an answer for Hiram in a minute. And there's an answer for me. And there's an answer for you. And there's no one who can't receive those answers. But I also love this lesson that's going to come because... He comes and says, I need a further witness. I, I want you to tell me again. And the Lord is going to teach a really important principle right now that is good for all of us to remember because he says to him, if you desire a further witness, verse 22, verse 22 yeah. cast your mind upon the night you cried unto me in your heart that you might know concerning the truth of these things. Did I not speak peace to your mind concerning the matter? What greater witness can you have than from God? And I think it's important for us to remember sometimes we have to look back at answers that we have been given, especially as we think about those times when you are questioning, you know, things that maybe are from the past history of the church or things that you wonder in your own life. There are moments when the Lord would say to us, I want you to think back to a time when you received that witness already and then I want you to hold on to that. You've got to learn to hold on to those past witnesses. There's something about holding on to those past witnesses that's gonna make us stronger moving forward. I remember being in the MTC one of the first weeks and somebody sharing like in our district the story about an experience they had where they felt like God had answered their prayer about the Book of Mormon and I started to feel really overwhelmed in thinking, I don't have like that story. Like I don't have this moment where mm -hmm. I, um, you know, I finished reading the Book of Mormon like a week before I left on my mission and I prayed and, and I was like, mm, whatever. And so in the MTC, I was so fervent about it and I was so desperate for an answer. And I remember it being late at night and I was just kneeling by those ghetto bunk beds in the MTC. Somebody fixed those. And I was kneeling there and the thought that came to my mind because I, I said 
almost in frustration. How come I am not getting an answer? And the thought impression I had is, look back, you've known all along. And when I looked, when I thought about just my growing up years, like I just was reminded of the fact that like, oh, every time you cracked those pages, you've just always known. And so I went into the mission field, like with that memory of like, Oh, I've just always known. Yeah. You know, there wasn't a... Which doesn't mean there weren't going to be hard days on your mission. No, And there no, were going to be no. times that you're going to be like, why did I come out here? And that people were going to slam the door in your face or choose not to be baptized or tell you that what you believe was not right. That doesn't mean that wasn't going to happen. But it's so awesome that when it did happen, you could look back right. to that moment. And Oliver had that moment. He could look back to that moment and say, I, on this day, I knew. So on this day, when I'm not as sure, I need to look back to this day when mm -hmm. I knew. It's interesting because we're gonna go through three more chapters in a row right now. We're just gonna spend three or four minutes in chapter seven, and then we'll really come back to this in eight and nine, but it's fun to take a pause in seven and see what's happening. Oh, you forgot the end of six, which is oh, so good. You okay. have to fill out here because this is the first time, especially with what you just said, where uh, they these two have well they've got a little bit of persecution but they have no clue kind of what is about to come and there's sort of this encouragement from the lord is like hey when those times do come that are going to be really hard you two are about to engage in something really really tough he gives them that advice that's so well known at the end of six in in 36 and 37 where he says look unto me in every thought doubt not fear not um, and then in 37, he almost tells you, oh, this is what I want you to look at. He says, behold the wounds which pierce my side and the prints of the nails in my hands and feet. Be faithful. Look, look, to, look to the cross. Look to see, I'm not going to give up on you, right? So keep going, keep being faithful. And what an awesome chance, 36. Have you tried that for a day or for a week to just look unto him in every thought? Um, and to fight against doubt and to fight against fear and to look to him for that strength and encouragement. And I mean, I think that's what we're going to learn at yeah. the end. Yeah. Says, we'll spend me. some time there. It's also important to note, though, when all of a sudden Section 7 is thrown in right in the middle of all of this, that Oliver and Joseph are just praying about something in the New Testament that they read about. And they're like, what, what is happening here? And you love that for a little window of a second, we watch the Lord step in and just tutor them on a question they have in scripture. And he will do the same for us. When we ask him to be part of our scripture study, he's going to tutor us to know a little bit more about what we're studying. And what they're asking here is, we want to know about Peter and John on that last day in John 21, at the very end of the Gospels when they're both walking with Jesus on the beach and they're both saying, this is my desire and this is my desire in that moment. And they had questions about what was going on there. It's actually really fun to go back and read in John 21, that conversation, the way John records it. And then to come here in section seven and read that the Lord expands that conversation and he teaches us a really awesome lesson in the expansion of that. Yeah, and just, Pay attention to this. Pay attention to the lesson because I think it's almost like a precursor 
preparing Oliver's heart for a lesson that he's going to learn in 8 and 9. It's interesting that they ask the question, is John the Revelator still alive? And the Mm -hmm. Lord takes the opportunity to almost like, oh, I'm going to teach you something really important that, Oliver, you're going to need in in a couple days. Yes. You know, right here. What's going to happen? And so um, he tells them, Peter's saying, am I going to do this? And the Lord says, what is that to you compared to what John is going to do? Because John wants to stay and keep doing the work. And Peter wants to go home. And for just a second, there's a John versus Peter situation that starts happening in your heart when you read this. And then you come to this verse that says in verse 5, I say unto thee, Peter, this was a good desire, that the desire that Peter had. This is a good desire, he says to him. But my beloved has desired that he might do more. And if you stop right there, you're like, oh, well, Peter, yours was good. But John asked to do more. And immediately, who's the winner in that situation, right? We, we all want to be like, well, John won of that situation. And Peter feels stupid for yes, asking to go for home. Sure. You know? And then we didn't finish that verse. Listen how interesting this is. John desired that he might do more or a greater work yet among men than what he has before done. Or in other words, John, Peter, you think you're done and you're ready to go home. And John feels like he still actually needs to do a little more before he comes home. And both of those things are okay in that morning, in that minute. And I love the fact that what happened is instead of being John versus Peter, it's John versus John. John's looking at himself and saying, I actually think I could do more than what I have previously done, a greater work. I don't think I'm done yet. And so would it be okay if I stay? And we love the thought of that. And at the very end, it's so interesting, verse 8 He says, you shall both have according to your desires. They both had a desire. Both desires were good. And you will both joy in that which you have desired. So they both had a desire, a good desire. And they both were going to have joy. And you love that the lesson that he's teaching, which is going to be really interesting to us, is that this is your work. And this is your work or your desire or your where you feel like your greatest effort should be right now. And all of ours doesn't have to be the same. Everyone's can be different and it's still good and it's still going to bring you great joy. Yeah. So as they keep, they go back to the translation of the Book of Mormon. And let's and, talk about the question that leads into it. Right, yeah. So section eight and section nine are kind, they go together. And that's kind of like lay out the whole story and the, the question with both of them. And it's as Joseph is translating reading and whatever he's doing and Oliver scribing, there comes a moment in the translation where Oliver wishes that he could be a translator. You know, he's just like, I wonder if I can do that. I wonder if I can, if, if that if that can be my job also. And so um, section eight is Joseph asking the Lord, can Oliver be a translator? Because he wants to also, you know? Do you love that Joseph's like, I'm, well, I'm not the boss. Sure, <laughs> if you want to, that's awesome. I just love that. Joseph's not like, I'm the translator. He's just like, okay. <laughs> Let me ask. I don't know. I'm not in charge of the plates so or anything working. So let me ask. Eight is going to be the answer to that. And let's just kind of give an overview of eight, which is going to be yes. 
you can translate if you want to translate. And he's going to teach Oliver some things in eight about some of his gifts and uh, some of his abilities that he has, that he knows about and some that he doesn't. And, and that's going to be awesome. Then nine is going to be after Oliver fails at it. <laughs> so it doesn't work. Um, Oliver doesn't get to translate the Book of Mormon. And nine is going to be the Lord teaching Oliver through the failure, right? He's like, oh, okay, obviously it didn't work. Let me tell you why. And let me help you learn something about you and learn something about me. So eight and nine kind of go together and we've split And you them. love too, before you get to that part, that the questions are so similar, right? Eight would be, can I translate? And nine would be, why can't I translate? There, it's so interesting that they're just come off of two sides of that same coin of being walked through that lesson. And it ends up being a really awesome lesson on how does revelation actually work? And when you get yourself into a situation that the Lord has to tutor you through revelation, where it's not a one verse answer and fixed, there's going to be a process of revelation that takes place here. And, and he actually uses the word you're going to apply unto yeah. revelation. And it's a process that's going to work for Oliver, but it's also going to be really helpful for any of us who are saying, I'm trying to receive an answer right now from the Lord and I can't figure out exactly how to like grasp hold of that answer. Or I'm trying to do something, you know, Oliver was trying to translate, right? That's what he was trying to do. And he's like, there's going to be some advice in how God guides him through that particular thing. Like this section is about God trying to teach Oliver how to translate, but we can start bringing it out to us when we say, Okay, I've got this. I'm trying to like um, encourage one of my kids. I'm trying to figure out the most effective way um, to be a school teacher. I'm trying to, you know, like whatever it is our work is, we're learning these principles that might show us how God helps us through that, how he's going to guide our hand through our particular work. Um, and so we've split up um, eight and nine and eight some principles, and you'll find both in either. Yes. But in eight, you're going to find some principles of, um, here's some things that might help. Yeah, you know, how in, to enter in. in. That. That's almost what it is. If you've wondered how to enter into Revelation, eight is a really good enter into the process. Yeah, and I just am so into this right now for the just the second, this idea of like, remember that Revelation is God guiding you through something. You know, mm -hmm. very few times is it like, oh, here's an answer to your question. Like, meaning like, mm -hmm. oh, I'm just curious where the Mayans are from, you know, or, or <laughs> rather like revelation is more often a Lord guide me through this journey, guide me through this particular like work that I'm doing. Right and it now. can be frustrating. Let's just say that it can be because we're used to pulling up our phone and saying, Siri, how many pints are in a gallon? And then what happens? 22. Yeah, Siri just comes back and answers. Instead of, what if Siri said this? Well, go into the kitchen and get out your pint <laughs> and go to the sink and fill it up with water. And now I want you to bring it over into a gallon. What if Siri said that every time you asked a question on the phone? It I would, would be go hard. go to Alexa. Okay. <laughs> Fire Siri and I'd move to Alexa. And sometimes, that is what the process of revelation feels like because it's just you're going to get the answer 
but he's going to walk you through. And sometimes the blessing of the walking through is if Siri tells me how many pints are in a gallon, I'm going to ask Siri again on Monday, how many pints are in a gallon. If Siri took me to the kitchen and had me get out a pint thing and take it to the sink and I put it in the thing on Monday, I'm going to remember that I put, I don't even know how many pints are in a gallon. I want to say four, but I'm totally making that up right now. I'm going to remember I did that, right? And so there's sometimes the Lord is like, I could give you that answer or I can walk you through that answer so you won't ever forget that learning that is about to take place in your life right now. Yeah. And also, I just think, you know, we've said this before, but there is um, revelation is all about relationship where God doesn't want to be Siri. And he doesn't want to be an encyclopedia. He wants to be a father and he wants mm. to walk the journey with us. And in the end, yeah, you might have an answer, but what you really have are months and years spent with yeah, God. Yeah, an experience. Right. Instead of an answer, you got an experience. Yeah. So if you look through, let's just look at some of these. Yeah, in, some of in the names. I have eight. one that I love. Um, do you? Yeah, say the one that say you love. Of and what, mine's at the end. And you'll see this picture on the... Um, on the in the newsletter remember we put a picture of the board in the newsletter always so you can kind of um see that list that's there um i like this one right here where uh oh i want i like maybe to... walk them through okay and okay. then this is the one i want oh you don't even have it okay Smile. i left it blank for you okay <laughs> um verse one yeah i says i want you to ask right we've already it's as simple as that he's just like how come you just ask and ask with an honest heart again in verse one um, concerning these things. Verse two, he says, I'm going to tell you in your mind and in your heart, right? Some things are going to be mental and some things are going to be logical. a little bit more illogical. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And a little bit more emotional. Or you're going to um, feel it instead right. of like figuring it out. You're going to feel this is the right thing. Yeah. I love in verse two, the word about the Holy Ghost dwelling in your mm -hmm. heart. Like it's just like plan on him being a long time visitor and just like feeling through that and, and working through that. I love that analogy Elder Scott taught that one time of being in a um, really slow moving river and just putting your hand in and just like sensing which way the river is moving. You know that you couldn't see it with your eyes, but dwelling in it, you're kind of like, ooh, I kind of sense where that is, is happening. Um, and this is something that is really, really neat in verse three. And this is the one I'll maybe focus on where he says, this is the spirit of revelation. This is the style. This is the mm, of revelation, you know, um, the same one that which Moses brought the children of Israel through the Red Sea on dry ground, which at first glance doesn't seem like the greatest example of revelation in the scripture what about Samuel when he gets, you know, called to by the Lord. But I love the idea of he takes him to a story and he's like, you remember how long that story was with Moses? Do you remember like how many years that took, you know, leading them through? Do you remember like, and he just kind of like opens them up to the scriptures and says, go look at the way I worked with them and go see like all of the things that, that happened, the frustrations, go look at the desperate prayers, go look at um, the way the answers came and, and just, yes. you know, and, and, and go through that. Um, in verse four, um, he says in verse four, Emily used this phrase earlier. This is where she found it. This is thy gift. Apply unto it. Right? Um, that's a neat phrase. Try and give a synonym to apply unto it to help you kind of understand and get a feeling for, you know, 
um, what that might be and what that might look like. And I love that we talked about this earlier that some people might feel like, oh, I, I actually have a little bit figured this out. I don't know that we ever completely figure it out, but you might feel like more comfortable. And some people might be like, I don't know if the Lord has ever spoken to me in my life. And I love recognizing that it is a gift. And some may feel more confident in that gift than other people would feel. And that counsel that he's like, apply unto it. Like if you want to know how to do this, it's just what President Nelson has been telling us for three years then apply unto it, right? Increase your capacity, President Nelson told us, to receive revelation, to our spiritual capacity needs to rise up to this level of, if we can't figure out revelation, President Nelson tells us, we're not gonna survive spiritually in the last days. So we've gotta learn to apply unto it. And sometimes it's tricky, sometimes it's hard. My favorite part is actually in, verse five, this one line that says, remember, this is your gift. And it's almost, I wonder if, because how many times has this happened where you have like had an impression come, you have felt revelation come, you know that God has promised you something that is going to come in the future. In that moment when you felt that thing, you were like sure of that thing. And then you started living your life and it didn't happen and it didn't happen and it didn't happen. And I think what happens to us is we start thinking, oh, wait a minute, maybe that didn't happen. Like maybe that isn't what I thought it was. And I love that he says to him, Oliver, remember, this is your gift. Your gift is to actually receive revelation. So if you don't see it coming to fruition immediately, don't doubt the revelation because your gift is to receive revelation just keep moving forward in faith and how many times do i need to say that to myself remember this is your gift it's all of our gifts we can apply to it and particularly for us compared to these people for us living in our time our prophet has actually given us a prophetic blessing that we will become good at receiving revelation. And we should trust that with this. When he says, remember, this is thy gift to Oliver. That's true for every one of us. Our prophet has blessed us. We would be better at revelation. And I love that thought of, okay, then let's apply to it. Let's, let's start trying to figure it out. Let's let that spirit like the river move through our lives and take us to those places of safety and refuge and peace and growth that he knows we can have. It's, is there anything else in eight you want to hit? Um, uh, no, oh, six is so cool. Okay. That gift of Aaron. Yes. Um, oh, that's good. This yes, is really cool. You could read a little bit more about this in um, Stephen Harper's book if you want some more background information on that. But gift of Aaron, in the original like transcribing of this, it, um, it was, you have the gift of the sprout. Um, when they ended up printing the Book of Mormon in, you know, the 1835 edition, they changed it to the gift of Aaron. Um, because I don't know why they changed it. Maybe they thought that's a little funny. Well, to and put I think in people there. were like, what does that what even the, mean? Yeah, because remember yeah. that we're moving away from that. Um, Oliver had the gift of the sprout, which is, um, like a water witch being able to find water with, um, the divining with rod. the sticks, yeah. you know, and everything. And it's just interesting that Oliver already had that gift. And then the Lord knows that and he tells him, 
you have a gift. You've used it before. Um, you know how you use that gift? How you have to kind of like feel? be quiet and feel through it? It's almost like he's telling them, it's like that. Now, God won't say that to me. <laughs> he won't say, mm, it's kind of like finding water with sticks, David. And it's like, <laughs> I don't speak that language. But for Oliver, it's just neat that he was taking something that he was really familiar with already, calling it a gift, number one, and then saying to him, it's, it's like that. You know how you... You know how that process works? It's really similar to that. Try doing it that way. And I just I just like that God speaks David and he speaks mm-hmm. Oliver and he speaks Emily. You know, he speaks that our language to us to help guide us and, and move us through this journey. And I love that it's actually called the language of the spirit because it's actually something we have to learn. What is that for me? And what does that look like? And it's interesting because then we go into chapter nine. After he fails. He fails. <laughs> and then he's going to come and ask like, wait, how come it didn't work? Oh, can we say this one part though that I forgot? I love at the very end of verse 12. Oh, in and section eight, eight, eight. When he says, it is I that have spoken and I am the same that spoke to you from the beginning. I love that he's like, Oliver, it's still me. It's still the person who came and told you, go find Joseph. That, that was moving in your bones. It's, I'm still the same person. So we're going to work through this. You've heard me talk before. You followed through what I told you to do. And you come to places you needed to be. And we're just going to keep working that, you know, through this and, and what's going to happen here. But then I love that the Lord's going to say, okay, let me tell you when it feels like revelation maybe isn't working. What is What's, what do you do then? What, what happens if you're in that place? Because I've been in that place before. I think we all have been in that place of what if the revelation isn't working? And I love that he tells him in verse three, be patient. This is section nine. Uh, section in, yeah. nine. Yeah, be patient. Um, it, it actually isn't necessary for you to translate at this time, he tells him. That, that's not actually what I need you to be doing right now. And in verse five, he says, Part of the reason why is it's because you didn't continue as you commenced when you began to translate that I took away this privilege. So there's something that just wasn't quite right in that moment that he's like, um, I also love that he says this in verse seven, you didn't understand the process. You suppose I was just going to give it to you and you took no thought for yourself of what was supposed to happen there. And then he walks him through what we've heard a million times is this process of trying to receive revelation. And he says this, you you have to first study it out in your mind. Then you must ask me if it's right. And if it's right, then you're going to feel that it's right. Or if it's wrong, you're going to, you're going to kind of feel a, a hesitancy of moving forward in that thing. And in 11, he tells him it was important when you commenced, but you feared and because of that fear caused some of this problem. So we learned some things right away that I just want to think about in this process of revelation. First, we're we're going to have fear. We're going to have those moments where we're like, did, did God really say this? Because this actually does not feel right. I can remember a crucial time in our life where we felt so strongly to buy a business. We felt it so strongly. We had not had work for months, we stumbled on this company. We had such a strong witness. We were supposed to buy that company. 
And so we did. We bought the company. Um, Greg had had a blessing that we would prosper during that time with that company. And I will tell you, in three years, that company destroyed us financially. It destroyed us. And had I only looked at what I thought the revelation was at that time, it could have destroyed my faith because it was that hard on our family. And I did look back at the day when we bought that business and the events surrounding it. And we had actually had some very spiritual witnesses on that day that it was the right business on the right day for our family. And um, at the end, we ended up losing all of our savings. We had to remortgage our entire house. On paper, you would look at it and think, what, what happened not, there? Yeah. Why did God do that to us? But in the meantime, we brought in a boy off the street who ended up, because that was our company and that was all that we had at the time, riding around in a truck with Greg every single day, six days a week from eight in the morning until seven at night. Those two worked that company and tried to keep our family afloat for that entire time. And at the end of those three years, we almost lost our house. We lost our savings. We lost all the equity we had ever built up in our life. But we saved a boy at the end of that. And where I could have lost my faith over God's purpose in that moment, now, years after that, years after, I look back at that time and think, oh, I see what you were doing there, even though it did not make any sense at the time, no sense at all. And even though I did question that day when that revelation had come and we knew that's what we were supposed to do, I questioned that day for years. Why did God do that to us? And then at the end to be able to look back and see, okay, I see you were making me go to the kitchen and get out the pint and go to the sink and fill it up and bring it to the jar that had the gallon, that's what we were doing there in that moment. And that's okay. Because sometimes that's what that learning has to look like at that time. And I think it's- And, and it's almost like he could say at the end of that, like that, what your work wasn't to build up a big business. That wasn't your work. That wasn't your, that's not yep. the treasure that was meant to come. You know, from yes, this. from that time. And sometimes right. we envision what the end result of the revelation should be instead of letting God be in charge of that revelation. And, and I go back to that thing. I'm the same one, the, the same one that spoke to you here that has done good things for you in the past. I'm still that same one who's telling you, do this now today, even though it's going to feel hard. It's still me, the one who cares for you, who loves you and who's taking care of you. It's still me walking you through this hard part. And I think as we look at this, going through this process of revelation, we have to remember sometimes it's hard. Sometimes we are going to study it out and we're going to ask if it's right and we're going to feel this and we're going to take two steps. And then the next day we're going to be like, I don't think that was right. And we're going to study it out again and we're going to take two more steps and we're just going to keep doing that, that's applying yourself Unto to it. revelation. And I think it's neat in this scenario, 
um, to look at it and say, actually, in section nine, there was a failure. Like Oliver's not going to look back on this. Like you'll look back on your story and be like, oh, I know what was happening. But legit, he says, oh, you feared. And now the time has passed. Or Elder Holland once said about that, um, you lost the opportunity of a lifetime because you didn't take it during the lifetime of the opportunity. Mm. And you're almost like, could you imagine? He's like, (laughs) I blew such an awesome chance. And, And he did, kind of. He failed. He missed out on it. But it's awesome that the Lord at the end of that says, um, be faithful, stand fast in that work that I've called you to do. I have such other great things ahead for you. Yeah, you messed up on this one, but that's okay. How tragic if Oliver had missed that chance and said, then I'm out. Mm. I guess it doesn't work. You know, if I can't receive answers, no one can, apparently. And I'm tapping out of this and I'm going back to being a school teacher um, again. To think of what he would have missed missed Mm -hmm. had he like walked away from it right then. And it's like, look, you're going to fail. You're going to mess this up. There's going to in addition to the times that you're wondering what's going on and all that. And and that advice is so awesome from the Lord. It's like, hey, that's okay. There's more ahead. And you might be in that place. You might be at the end of the three years and you're going to lose the house and you're trying to figure out how you got where you are. And we're all going to have that and you moment. might And you might lose the house. Yeah, and you and might, you lose, might the lose the yeah. thing. Right? And I think the important thing is, as we look at that to realize... We're just in the kitchen with the pint. And I love this thought where he says, you have not understood. You have supposed that I would give it to you when you took no thought, save it was to ask me. And to remember that that process of revelation is as important in the middle as it was at the beginning and as it will be at the end. Because what he's saying to you is, don't don't just say, fix this. Or don't just, you know, I t- think I'm going to give to you Siri, I'm not going to be Siri in this moment. I'm not going to give you the English version of the Book of Mormon down in the ground, which we <laughs> easily could have done, right? Why are we yeah. putting them through this yeah. whole thing, uh, right? You can't just ask me. We're going to have an experience together. And mm. it reminds me of one more story that I talked about in this book. That is just a short one, but it's a good reminder and has been um, for my whole life. There was a time when I received a calling that felt really overwhelming for me. When I entered into it, when the bishop came over and talked to me about it, my immediate response was fear. And my second immediate response was, logically, this is not gonna work for us right now. In fact, I cried for 20 minutes after he asked the question with no words coming out of my mouth. And at the end of 20 minutes, he said, is that a yes? Like, I never said no before, so I guess it is. And when he left, I can remember going in my room and kneeling down, and I didn't necessarily have on my happy voice. And I just said to the Lord, why me and why now? Like, I, I, I don't think I'm a good fit for this right now. There are so many people who would be better at this than me. And I don't have time right now. It doesn't fit in my schedule. I think you got the wrong person and this is the wrong time for me. And all night long, I just kept saying those two words, why me and why now? And the next morning when I still was not settled on that, I got in the car and drove to the temple. And my question kind of had changed on the way to the temple 
that I, um, I kind of had started asking, just what do you want me to do? Like, what, what is it, if, if I'm supposed to do this, what do you want me to do is what I was asking when I got there. And when I got to the temple, I was going to do initiatories and the line was forever long. You know how sometimes it is. And I sat down and I pulled out a Doctrine and Covenants and I happened to open to this page right here and to that very verse, which is, Behold, you have not understood. You have supposed that I would give it unto you when you took no thought, save it was to ask me what you want me to do. And I sat there and I was like, oh, all of a sudden, like a verse of scripture just, it came alive in my mind. And it's interesting because the two questions I asked right then in a row was first, why me? What is it that I have right now that is so important to the women in my ward? Why me? And I let the spirit tutor me in that for a minute. And the next question I asked was, why now? And I felt the spirit tutor me in that. I only served in that calling for, I think, nine months. It was the shortest calling I've ever served in. In the time that I, or it might've been 18 months actually, but it just, it was short. And um, in that time, you've heard me talk about this before, um, we had five babies with medical conditions that they would pass away from in our very ward. And I had lived my life with the struggles of praying for babies to come. And I had spent the early years of one of my kids' childhoods in the hospital constantly. And when those moms started having those trials, I knew what that felt like. And I knew how to succor someone who was living in a hospital because I had been in one for so much time. And at the end of that calling, I knew why me and why now, because the Lord tutored me through that process. So I think if you're in the middle, if you're in that part of like, what is happening right now? And you're hoping he's just gonna send the Siri answer. Maybe you need to be asking questions like that. Why me and why now? And what is the tutoring process that I am being led through? Just open my eyes to see the tutoring. And then it makes it easier while you're waiting for that answer to come. Yeah, and have as encouragement in section 9, verse 12, this promise that um, after, you know, Oliver struggling with this and he says, Do you not behold that I've given unto Joseph sufficient, sufficient strength whereby it is made up? That if you feel like lacking in all this, if you're like, I'm not prone to that gift, I, I, I just don't, that is a, a definition of, of grace there. There will be sufficient strength mm. that is given, sometimes through others, sometimes granted you, to you that that's enduring strength, um, but that's the promise as you, as you struggle through it, right? He says, you're Oliver, but don't forget, I'm Jesus mm. Christ, and there will be sufficient strength for this throughout the whole journey. Ugh, that is so good. So many good lessons. Yeah, these right are here. such, such great sections. Okay, next week, 10 and 11. We'll see you there. This audio was taken from a YouTube video from our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube at Don't Miss This. 
Also, sign up for our newsletter at don'tmissthisstudy.com and you can follow us on Instagram at Emily Bell Freeman and at Mr. Dave Butler. Thanks for listening. Bye.